everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Amos Grunendijk. Good morning, everybody. You can have a seat. Thank you for joining us in the room and online. My name is Amos. I'm one of the lead pastors here, along with my wife, Allison. Uh, Did you guys hear we're going to go to two services on Easter? (laughs) I don't know. I'm excited about it. We're having our normal 10 a.m. indoor service, but then at 1130, the plan is to be outside again, which should be great. There's somebody excited about that. I think, I think the weather will be good for us if it doesn't rain, hoping for good temperatures. Uh, but plan B is that that service moves inside, which is why there's still registration open for both the 10 a.m. and the 11.30. So you don't need to register if it's outside. If that second service for Easter moves inside, then you need to register. And we'll have Vineyard Kids if it's outside, not sure if it's inside. We'll play that by ear, and you'll hear more about that as we go. But we are wrapping up our Deeply Formed series today um, as we transition toward preparing our hearts for Easter, which is like three weeks away, right? It's coming up fast. And then after that, here at the Vineyard, we'll be doing a series on worship But to just look back on the last five weeks, we've been reading the book, many of us. We've been looking at the topics that the book has raised. I think for me, I mean, I've grown, I've learned, I've expanded my understanding, and it hasn't always been comfortable or easy. You know, we had conversations about race, and we had conversations, or we had like a, a discussion about sex, and it wasn't just the content of a Sunday or even with the conversations about race, those Zoom calls, it's like it it percolated out into families and into conversations that friends were having and into family, just like into tripods, into like into the everyday life. So I just, I think it's been a really good and stretching time. And I asked the church like, where have you grown? What have you done? And I got a couple of responses back and I'm just going to read two of them. And this person says, we shared the book with two other individuals, but facing racism with love and honesty is life-changing. The combination of the book and the conversation on Zoom led us to many conversations and prayers. It has led to us considering new methods to interact with people with different views, beliefs, and skin than we have. It has encouraged us to acknowledge that God has works which he has prepared for us to do. And from somebody else, Um, for me, the practice of Sabbath, or in other words, taking a day to rest, has been the most life-changing. Since starting the series, I've taken a full day of rest to recharge and spend real quality time with my family. My whole countenance is more peaceful, and my relationship with my kids has deepened tremendously. It's hard to feel like I'm losing productive time but I'm really gaining the world. So, I mean, that's a win. I'm really proud of you guys for engaging with the content. And today, as we finish, uh, I'm just going to read this little quote that'll help give us a little bit of direction from the book 
deeply formed. There is never a moment when God isn't moving toward the world in love. That's, uh, that's what we're going to unpack today, but that's kind of the mission of our church, right? It's the reason that we're here. Not just the Vineyard Church in Chester Springs, but like people, uh, anybody who's following Jesus, their mission, their purpose in life is to join God in that everlasting, never-stopping pursuit of the world in love. And so I want to just quickly turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse... Oh, I didn't circle it in my Bible. What verse is it? Three, uh, where Paul says to some early followers of Jesus in the city of Philippi, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ Jesus' return. And so what does it mean to be a partner in the gospel? What does it mean to partner with the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news about Jesus, right? That's the short, condensed news flash, but gospel means all kinds of things. Uh, the, the expansiveness of the gospel is really one of the things I want to impart to you today. It's about God making all things new. It's the person of Jesus and the kingdom that he is bringing so that God's will might be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It's the embracing of those who are lonely and the freeing of the captives and giving dignity to those who are in despair and, and infusing hope into the hopeless. It is, it is bigger than any one person. It is bigger than any one doctrine. It is bigger than anything that you could put onto a bumper sticker. And I think there's, a, there's another quote here I just want to read from John Stott. Uh, who's a like, semi-famous Christian author. I don't know if you've heard, at him, heard about him. So if I say he's famous and you don't know who he is, that makes me look silly. But, it, but he's here commenting on all the work that Paul is doing in presenting the gospel about Jesus. So when he says Paul's message, it's really Paul's message about Jesus, right? It is the comprehensiveness of Paul's message about Jesus that is impressive. He proclaimed God in his fullness as creator, sustainer, ruler, father, and judge. Many people are rejecting our gospel or our good news today, not because they perceive it to be false, but because they perceive it to be trivial. They are looking for an integrated worldview that makes sense of their experience. We learn from Paul that we cannot preach Jesus without the doctrine of God or the cross without creation or salvation without judgment or vice versa. Today's world needs a bigger gospel, the full gospel of Scripture. And so just to expand the idea of what the gospel is here a second, to expand the message, I want you to hear that the message that we bring is both pro-life and pro-justice. And when I say pro-life, I mean in part that God cares for unborn children. 
God loves literally the millions of unborn babies that have been aborted in this country. He says, or the Bible says in Psalm 139, for you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. The works of God in a mother's womb is wondrous. And I see it like there's a six-month-old baby and, and the seed of that started like whatever nine plus six is, <laughs> uh, 15 months ago. And I, I, like, I had a good cry about this this morning because God loves the millions of babies who have been aborted in this country. And in the same breath, I have to say that God loves the mothers of those babies who made that choice. And God wants to offer you forgiveness. He wants to embrace you. He wants to envelop you. He wants to heal you. He wants to give you joy. To say that our message is pro-life, pro-life means that God cares for unborn children, but he cares for the children born in poverty. He cares for the single mothers. He cares for the fathers that are in prison. He cares and loves all people. He is for life. He wants all people to flourish. As John 10 says, these are the words of Jesus, I have come that you may have life and that you might have it to the full. He wants all people to flourish. And that's not the same thing as all people being rich. It's not even being happy all the time. Flourishing is bigger than that. But it's, it's for the rich and it's for the poor and it's for the people living in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and San Francisco and New York City and, and Moscow and Kenya. And like it's for the whole world and it's for every single one of the humans. He wants you to have an abundant life. <clears throat> it's a message for the flourishing of humans in their physicality, in their emotions, in their heart, and in their mind. But also, it's an eternal message. It's a message of eternal life. In John 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. So there is life after death with Jesus for those who trust in Jesus. And so the, the, the good news about Jesus is not simply a political conviction, nor is it simply a message of eternal salvation. It's about like everything in between. It means that you're for life, and it means that you are for justice. Micah 6.8 says, what does the Lord require of me? But to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The good news about Jesus doesn't fit inside of a political party. And we shouldn't, it shouldn't be that one political party is known to be pro-life and one political party is known for their justice. People who follow Jesus should be known for their like blessing of life and for their blessing of ju justice. What does justice mean? Well, that gets us into a much deeper conversation that we can't get to the depth of today, but 
it means both that punishment is executed fairly, regardless of your race or regardless of your income status. And if you want to dive into the depths of how that works out in our country, I don't think we live in a perfectly just nation. And if you look at how the enforcement of, for instance, nonviolent drug laws is applied, you will have your eyes opened, I hope, and your heart broken, I hope, for what's going on. But it goes beyond simply the execution or the implementation of punishment. When you look at what justice is in the Bible and what there's this little word uh, in the Hebrew, mishfat, it goes beyond like punishment and into human rights and sustaining those rights and defending those rights for all people. So, for instance, in Proverbs 31, verse, I think it's verse 9, it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of those who are destitute. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. The message of Jesus is pro-life and pro-justice. And when you read the Bible, if you look at both Old Testament and New Testament, you see that there's a lot of energy. The Bible has a lot of energy toward defending and caring for and being generous to the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the immigrant. It's one of the reasons we have our Four Corners offering, so that we can remember and help support the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the immigrant. The Bible gives a lot of energy to defending the rights of those who are powerless. And if you want to read through some of the Old Testament prophets, the, the harshest words, which I'm not going to like even get into here because there's there's young ears, like it's not appropriate for young ears. The harshest judgments that the prophets of Israel give against their nation is when the rich get richer and the poor get poorer and the rich exploit the poor and find their wealth from them. It's not pretty. The message of Jesus is pro-life and pro-justice. It draws us toward generosity to, toward the poor. It draws us to take care of people who have less than us, to take, in many cases, the side of the vulnerable and the weak and the oppressed and the marginalized. Galatians 2, verse 10, Paul says, all the apostles asked is that we continue to remember the poor. And he goes on, it was the thing that I was eager to do. It is something that is actually written on our hearts because it reflects the heart of God to come and meet people who are bankrupt. Morally, spiritually, and financially. And to meet them with love and grace. To meet them with empowerment and dignity. To be a partner in the gospel means to be pro-life and pro-justice. But to be a partner in the gospel also means that you will be uncomfortable. This is hard for many of us who were raised in America and in the American church. Like, we, we're so comfortable. We're, like, used to air conditioning and heat, you know? Like, I mean, here we are wearing masks inside. And I know it's not comfortable, but the early church would have actually really loved to have them because you know where the early church met? 
They meant below ground in crypts, like where dead bodies were put. And so the masks would have been actually helpful for them to not have to smell the odor of what was going on. The invitation to be a partner in the gospel is to be uncomfortable in the first sense because if we're partnering with the gospel, we're exposing ourselves to the like perfect love of Jesus and we look back on our own life and in our own heart and we realize we are not that. Okay, I almost never make a 100% guarantee because I'm pretty sure that I might be wrong about almost everything I believe. Like, I'm like, I will be like, I'm like 80% sure Alice and my wife will testify on this. Like, I, I'll be like, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure. I'm sure enough to like say this with some conviction, but I, you know, I could be wrong. I am 100% sure that if you look back on the last week of your life that you have not loved perfectly. Think about your interactions with your kids. Have you loved like Jesus? Has there been a moment where you didn't love like Jesus? If you have kids. If you're married, either by the sin, quote-unquote, of commission, like I was critical, or omission, like I didn't do a good job of remembering my wife's birthday. True story. With your neighbors, with your people that you work with, did you love perfectly? And so, like, to realize, like, oh, man, I am a sucky listener, or I actually am a little more stubborn than I wish, would like to admit, or I, like, lose my temper more often than I think I do, or my, I'm angry, but I kind of, like, just put up this rational, logical, kind of Spock-like front, even though on the inside I'm, like, out of control. Like, it's uncomfortable at... On the one hand, because we're drawn to repentance all the time, all, every day. To, we, we're like drawn to realign our hearts with Jesus' heart. But it's uncomfortable as well because as we work out, as we speak out, as we process what God is doing in our life and what we feel like he is convicting us to speak about, we're going to run into, we're going to collide with people who don't think like us, believe like us. Even inside of the church, there's going to be people who have different views on same-sex marriage and what systemic racism is and means and how we can best love people. Is it to give them money or is it to is that codependency? There's like all these places where if you're actually living out your faith, you're going to realize that the things that you thought were so sure, the doctrines you thought that were secure, maybe aren't so solid after all. Now, the benefit of that is it draws us back to Jesus as our foundation. And the benefit of that is actually, look here in Philemon, this is another Paul that Paul wrote. Has anybody read out of Philemon this week? Probably not. <laughs> Philemon chapters. Well, there's no chapters. That's the funny thing about Philemon. It's just verses. There's only one chapter. Philemon verse 6. I pray that your partnership, there's that same idea. It's the same idea as partnership with the gospel, only this way he says partnership with us in faith. So this is how you partner with like the faith may be effective in what? 
deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Jesus. So in other words, like to be a partner in the faith, to be a partner in the gospel means that you're living your faith. People are listening to your life, but also listening to your message, listening to your pro-life, pro-justice, all about Jesus, died for your sins, raised from the dead message. And as you do that, the effect here is not that they will change, but that you will change. This this is what Paul is drawing out in Philemon verse 6. As you participate in the faith, in sharing your faith, it is your understanding that will actually go deeper. And so as you run up against people who say like, well, I just think that's nonsense. I think you're wrong. I think that's a limited, narrow, closed-minded view. You kind of have to go back and see what the Bible says and ask your friends about what they think and search the, like, the collective wisdom of the church over the last 2,000 years and pray about it, like plug into the Holy Spirit. And you might feel a little insecure, but if, like, if you go back to your foundation in Jesus and, and depend on the Holy Spirit, that's actually a net win for you. So like maybe your doctrine of you know, a specific belief about the Bible gets shaken, but, but the end goal, Philemon 6, that you deepen your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Jesus. To be a partner in the gospel means that you are pro-life and pro-justice and that you are invited to be uncomfortable and to engage with people who are different than you. And let me just say from personal experience, I think this is true for everybody, to engage with people who hold different views and not immediately jump to judgment takes so much work. Because if I disagree with you, my first jump is, well, you're... Uh, a villain, like you don't care, you don't even love Jesus, you don't care about democracy, you don't care about people, right? Like, isn't that the quick thing? But to, to love like Jesus means let Jesus be the judge of people's hearts and motives. To be a church without judgment, which is something we're like really trying hard to do, means we have to be uncomfortable, and it's hard, and it and it takes work, and it takes energy, and it is a journey, guys. Let me just say so. To be a partner in the gospel means, next of all, that you will be criticized. People will call you names. It might be people who you call family. It might be people you call friends, and that might feel like betrayal. But if you're a partner in the gospel, be ready to be criticized and to be called names. This happens to Jesus and John the Baptist, by the way. In Luke 7, verse 33, Jesus is speaking here. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man, Jesus is talking about himself here. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So like, damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Like, 
if you're following the way of Jesus, you're getting attacks from the left and from the right. You find this as well in like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which like kind of generically represent the conservatives and the progressives in the uh, like the Jewish sort of little political religious environment. And you find Jesus offending the Pharisees and the Sadducees to the point where they all want to kill him. Because the Pharisees would have agreed with a lot of what Jesus said, but then he would like cut through and say something that was offensive. And same with the Sadducees. And and beyond that, like... um, even though the Pharisees and Sadducees were primarily religious sects, there was political values too. They were kind of trying to build a, a worldly kingdom. And they expected Jesus to come with worldly power, with conquering, take my side kind of power. And Jesus says, I'm not interested in like, building up your big government or keeping your government. Like, I don't care about the, the size or the, the dynamics of the government you're trying to build. I'm trying to build a kingdom that is not of this world. The message of Jesus is one that if you partner with it, you can expect to be uncomfortable and you can expect to be criticized. But the other thing that comes with the message of Jesus is you actually have a message of hope. This is a message of hope, like the good news about Jesus is not just good news for the world, right? It is good news for you. It is not just that God loves people here and there and everywhere. It is that God loves you. It is that in partnering with his mission, he gives you purpose. He gives you joy. He gives you, like, the ability to actually grow into someone who doesn't let anxiety reign, who doesn't let fear be in the driver's seat of all of your thoughts, beliefs, ideas, and actions. The message of hope is a message of transformation, of formation, as we say here. It is also a message of justification. In other words, God looks at you and says, you are good enough. You are accepted. You get to live with me now and always. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. Like the message of hope the, the, the bigness of the gospel actually means it's a message for you as well. And in, in carrying this message to people, there's, there's gift in that. There's blessing in that. There's energy and life in that. If you've done this, if, if you've actually <clears throat> tried to live out the gospel, the good news about Jesus, it's not always easy and sometimes you get rejected, but But for me personally, like when I've been doing that the most, I've also been the most satisfied. 
I felt like my life matters, that it means something, that I'm growing, that, that I'm part of something or, or connected actually to someone so much bigger than myself. And I want to actually play a little video for you where Jay, Jay Pathak, who, by the way, just was made, elected, nominated, ratified uh, to be the new Vineyard National Director. And I mean, this is somebody I actually have had a lot of influence from. And I, I just, I think he's, I think he's a good pick. But let him speak into what it looks like to be part of God's mission here. I want to talk to you for a moment about emotionally focused mission. We say through this entire journey that all formation is for the sake of mission. And we're not growing and developing in our life with God and transforming just so we can flex in the mirror so that we can, we can just sort of show off or be connected with other people um, just to like increase our little holy huddle of friends. Though, though that does happen, though, though we do have healthier marriages and better friendships, we are compelled to make disciples that are a part of joining God in the renewal of all things. The truth is, nearly every person who loves and follows Jesus, who's a part of a church, knows that you're supposed to serve the poor or to fight against injustice or share your faith and talk about the life that you have in Jesus. We know this in our heads, but we tend not to live it out in our hearts and in our lives because, frankly, we're overwhelmed by the life that we already have. We don't know how to manage the anxiety we already possess. Uh, we're overwhelmed and exhausted by the conflict and the tension that we experience at work or within our own families, our neighborhood, our own nation. See, the work that we're doing in this journey is to help us to learn how to see how we've been formed to manage all of that anxiety so that we can go out and take on more of the challenges in the world to fight against injustice, help with homelessness, go to stop human sex trafficking, to tell people about the great news that we have in Jesus. In order to do that work and not just burn out or blow up or get exhausted, we have to do internal work that drives us out into that mission. The truth is many people who take on the mission of Jesus end up burned out and blown up because they've not done that internal work. So all of this work we're doing is to help make us the kinds of people that can join Jesus in the mission of making all things new again. So this is not easy work. <laughs> this is substantial work that changes the whole of who you are. So you're not just trying to do the right thing and responding out of guilt or shame or fear, but you're joining in the mission of God because you've been compelled by love and by the transformation of the Spirit. We invite you to join us in this incredible journey. He offers an invitation. I invite you to join us in this incredible journey. And I feel like in some ways, that's what our Vineyard Church movement is embarking on, but that's what our local church here is too. The union of formation for which the fruit is mission, to becoming more like Jesus so that we can love more like Jesus. And part of loving like Jesus is bringing the message of Jesus. 
Um, but, but to do so in a way that when we bring that message, we don't act like idiots <laughs> or jerks or, or abrasive. Here's the thing, guys. People listen to your life first. And I don't even mean like, well, I've got this list of morals, right? Like, don't do this, I don't do that, and I don't do that other thing either. I think what they're listening to is like your humility and your ability to show empathy and to listen well, to love. Like, that's very different if you come with the message of Jesus Jesus, and you're defensive or you're arrogant or you're like kind of close-minded. Like, that's that's all they're going to hear if you come at them and you attack or you're just like like predictable in your in your anxiety levels and 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 that's not that's like the divorce if if we come at people that way if 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 we try to show love but like with the right hook like that's that's divorced the mission of God with the, the formation, with the love of God. Like these two things belong together because people listen to your life before they'll listen to your words. And again, that's, that's a movement inward and outward where as we, as we move inward and invite Jesus to heal and transform, we reap the benefits, but then we also share the fruit of our life as well. And so I'm going to finish this series with one last quote from Deeply Formed by Rich Philotus. There is a way of responding to the needs of the world in such a way that leads to fatigue and burnout. We try to give what we don't possess, and every time we attempt this, we put ourselves in danger. Is there a way to actively respond to the injustice, poverty, and pain that people experience without being destroyed by our good intentions and deeds? I think we can, but a shift is required. The deeply formed mission is fundamentally about becoming a particular person and offering that to the world. It, this kind of mission just jump to that, is not just about activity, it's about being Christ for another. Anyone who belongs to Jesus is indwelled by his spirit. This indwelling life is not simply for the purpose of private, mystical experiences. It is also for the purpose of being shared with the world around us. Some of you reading this are already tuning me out. Perhaps you look at your life and think, I can never be Jesus. I can't even find my Bible. My prayer life is so inconsistent. I have too many sins that need forgiving. I just became a Christian, so how can I be Jesus for another? Or I don't feel close to God. Deeply formed mission is first about who we are becoming before what we are doing. Our most effective strategy in reaching a world for Christ is grounded in the kind of people we are being formed into. The quality of our presence is our mission. And the good news is that Jesus doesn't wait for us to be perfect before inviting us into mission. In fact, when you see the people Jesus calls, They are messy, they are screw-ups, they make mistakes, but they are vessels for a treasure that is beyond compare, that is beyond worth. 
Another metaphor jar Paul uses is he says we are jars of clay. Inside is this amazing treasure that we call the good news about Jesus. And so let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. Some of us need to feel how good the news is. We ask that you would like, turn up our passion, that you would light our hearts on fire. That our love for you would be amplified. That our lives would be transformed. That your spirit would come into every crevice of our life. Open up the closets that we've closed, that hold the skeletons of our past. Come and clean and heal. Jesus, show us that you are the foundation on which we can stand. Bring to mind those people in our neighborhoods, in our life, in our families who need you desperately. And so we pray for them. We pray that they would have an encounter with you. We pray that our lives would be the kind of life that is attractive and that the words we speak would do you honor. God, we thank you that this is your kingdom, that you sustain and that you build and that you advance. So help us to see what you're doing around us. Open up our eyes. Make space in our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, and move among us. And I invite you to stand. We believe in the vineyard that God comes to church. <laughs> that he wants to be known and felt and experienced. He wants to be let in. And so... As we sing and before we sing, expect him to speak to you. Wait on him. Ask for more. 
Ask for more of his abundant life to flow into yours. And so we bless this moment of stillness and we say again, come Holy Spirit. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.